Welcome to a Gates Open podcast about college football bowl games. I'm Jonathan Horowitz with Susan Rayburn, and Susan is an expert on the most important things in America because at the Library of Congress in the publishing office, she is an author about a book on the Magna Carta, one of the documents that's fundamental to the philosophy that the United States was developed on in its founding. And she's also the author of a book called Football Nation about the history of football, which is fundamental to the philosophy of the country as it continues to exist today. Susan, it's very nice to join you in Santa Barbara. And just to set the scene of where we're at, we have the ocean in the background at Hendry's Beach. So this is a great atmosphere to talk about college football. It's great to be here with you, Jonathan, especially at a beach because because the uh, early American Indians played their football at the beach, and that was where English settlers, when they first arrived, saw football being played for the first time, was at the beach. So it's good that we're here. So it's gone from being played in the beach to being played in mega stadiums, stadiums with up to 100,000 people for some of the bowl games that we've seen in this bowl season. Now, first of all, it's a bowl, a rose bowl, a cotton bowl. Other sports have plates, like in horse racing, the, the Queen's Plate, the biggest horse race in Canada. Other sports have cups, like the Stanley Cup for hockey. Why does college football have a bowl? Well, college football actually um, really flourished in the earliest bowls. You've got the Yale Bowl, for example, where Yale, which was one of college football's earliest superpowers, played. And it was, the stadium was, in fact, shaped like a bowl. And so when you developed the special games that were played at the end of the season as college football uh, developed and progressed into the 1930s, the bowl was the obvious place to have your largest games and hence bowl games. So you have bowl originating from the stadium, and that makes sense because the first postseason quote-unquote bowl game is the 1902 Rose Bowl played in Pasadena, but it wasn't originally called the Rose Bowl. It was called the Tournament East-West Football Game for the Tournament of Roses. It was played in 1902, and then it was replaced as part of the Tournament of Roses by chariot races, picked up again and played every year since 1916. And in 1923, you have the development of the Rose Bowl modeled off of the Yale Bowl, and then the game becomes part of the Rose Bowl Stadium and gets the name as the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl is the granddaddy because not only is it the, the longest running bowl, but even after it becomes uh, an established popular bowl, it's, draw, it's drawing major teams, it's drawing Notre Dame and other, other teams what actually gets the bowl system going is the Great Depression. What a lot of very smart entrepreneurs and chambers of commerce realized was, hey, if we're located in a southern city where it's nice and warm, we can actually attract people during the Depression to come and spend the holidays in our nice warm city and we'll feature a bowl game. We'll feature a, a ball game. So the, the first um, the, the real growth, actually, of the bowl games comes in the mid-1930s. The 1935, you've got the, um, you've got the Orange Bowl, which is, is being played in Florida. You've got the Sugar Bowl, the Sun Bowl, the Cotton Bowl. The Cotton Bowl is in, in Texas, which comes a year or two later. And these are all cities that are nice to spend places, uh, spend your time during the holiday season, in the winter, 
and it's a way to help revive the economy. If you bring in football fans playing in a bowl game, they're going to stay in your motels, they're going to frequent your restaurants, they're going to bring money to town. And during the Depression, that's what every town was looking for. And then you get into the issue of now college sports becoming part of big business. So I'm going to read you a quote. It's from 1937 because the NCAA, the governing body for college sports was thinking that you know what these bowl games bringing students down to new orleans for the sugar bowl or, or to dallas for the cotton bowl they may be getting too out of hand and so the quote is from zg clevenger of indiana university and it was part of a report that the ncaa adopted but but did nothing about they serve no sound educational ends and such promotions merely trade upon intercollegiate football for commercial purposes. We, we've solved this though, right? We, right, right, it's no longer a problem. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> no, that is one of the things you see in football history is that there is almost nothing new, that concerns that we had um, even in the late 19th century, we still have today, and we're still talking about the bowl games, their place in football at the moment. Should they be part of a playoff system? Their place in culture, are they part of the holidays? They're what you people are used to for gathering on New Year's Day. So yes, the bowls, the bowls have always been um, kind of an issue when it comes to college sports as far as their proper role in society. The Bulls realized what a lucrative opportunity it was. The teams realized what a lucrative opportunity it was. And so in response to when the NCAA tried to get rid of them or at least fix them up, University of Pittsburgh's athletic director, W.D. Don Harrison, he said the NCAA merely is authorized to give its opinions. Its rulings are not binding on anybody. And as far as Pittsburgh is concerned, we always have been favorable to the Rose Bowl game as a postseason attraction conducted on a high plane. And we probably also sorted out the issue. So now the NCAA and the colleges get along as well. But right. it's all to show <laughs> that, that some of the things that from the sports start that were issues continue to be issues today. And and so the Bulls really developing in the 1930s now, and we'll bring it forward to the proliferation of Bulls today, just how many there are. But in the 1940s, you had a salad bowl in, yes, in you Phoenix. Mm -hmm. um, you had a grape bowl. When, when grapes shivel up, they, they become raisins. You had a raisin bowl, the grape bowl and the raisin bowl, both played in, in central California. Fruit has been an important part of the bowl system, absolutely. You've got the peach bowl, you've got the cherry bowl, um, and those kind of grew out of the idea of the local country and county fair, actually. And so where you would proclaim a queen of your, of your county fair, you would also proclaim the queen of the grape bowl. And so that idea of the community coming together during a particular time of the year, whether it's the harvest season or whether it's the holidays, naming a queen and connecting that to agriculture, that, those were the first big names to come out were actually agricultural products for the bowl games. Today we have some strange names, but it's not quite agriculture we're no, recognizing. So what are we recognizing today? Well, now we've, we've moved into um, manufacturing and we've moved into high tech and we've moved into uh, some very abstract uh, concepts too for bowl games. Oh, there's the quick lane bowl the Auto Nation Cure Bowl, and, and it's even spread in terms of not just being in the United States. There's the Bahamas Bowl, which is played outside of the U.S., the Popeye's Bahamas Bowl, to, to be perfectly correct, because when I think of the Bahamas, I, I do think of, of Popeye's chicken, but that's 
the second bowl game that was played outside of the United States, because even in the 1930s, they played a game called the Bacardi Bowl in Havana, Cuba. It was also called the Rumble Bowl or the Cigar Bowl. Great thing to be associating with college athletics. And the game actually wasn't almost played because Fulgencio Batista, he had come to power in Cuba and he saw that his picture wasn't printed in the program. So he almost canceled that, that bowl game. So, so the history from being a local attraction, celebrating local things to now celebrating the commerce that it's become. And now this is how college football does its postseason. It's unlike other college sports, which have a distinctive playoffs to crown a champion. So how has football addressed the issue of, we have all these great games, but, but who's the champion? We That's want right. a champion to celebrate. That's right. And that was, I think, one of the reasons why incorporating the bowl games into a playoff system was so important, was that people have such an attachment to these bowl games. They've got such a long history, going back to the 1930s, even longer for the Rose Bowl. So if you were going to develop a playoff system, you couldn't ignore the bowls. You couldn't ignore them. They were too important to too, too many people. You have such an extreme because now we do have a playoff system that's incorporated as part of the bowl games. A couple of the bowls are part of the, the college football playoffs, but, but there's only a handful four, of them. Yeah, yes. there's only mm -hmm. four teams that are going to play in three college football playoff games, which mm -hmm. are bowls, but total there's 41 bowl games, <laughs> 80 teams. Now this is an increase. It went up from 39 from, from last year. Uh, it was 35 the, the year before that. So, so we've steadily increased the number of teams that go to bowl games. There are 128 NCAA Division I teams. 80 of them are going to bowl games. Do they serve a purpose of celebrating who some of the best teams are? Or is it just kind of like everybody gets a ribbon now and everybody participates? Everybody gets a ribbon. No, I think it's really diminished um, the idea of the bowl games. Certain bowl games, the old, the old uh, traditional ones, they, they retain their strength, I think. But the bowls that, that, whose names change from year to year, and we've seen that happen with different sponsors coming in, the idea that we now have uh, teams with losing records eligible to play in, in the bowls, uh, three teams that were five and seven this year were eligible, that really makes it, I think, less of um, a reason to celebrate. It used to be a very big deal if your team got a bowl invitation. That was a big, and that was worth missing Christmas, missing the holidays with, with uh, your family. That was worth it to play in a bowl game. It's not worth it, I think, to a lot of players. I think for a lot of players, it's actually kind of, a, of, a, of an extra drag and pain in the neck nowadays. Gets in the way of things. And if you're playing before, before the holidays, if you're playing earlier in December, you're not getting nearly the attention as a bowl, as a bowl participant. As, as you would have many years ago. So no, I don't think it's been, um, I, I think it has diminished the game somewhat and the system somewhat, but it still brings in money. So therefore it's not going to go away anytime soon. You hit the nail on the head and you alluded to the teams that are five and seven don't even have winning records. So we're celebrating teams that don't have winning records, but there just weren't enough teams with 500 or winning records to fill the bowl spots. So there were three teams this year with five and seven records who went to bowl games, Nebraska, played in the Foster Farms Bowl, San Jose State in the Auto Nation Cure Bowl, Minnesota in the Quick Lane Bowl. All three of those teams, though, <laughs> actually won. So great headline in the Associated Press story after Nebraska beat UCLA. Nebraska caps losing season with 37-29 bowl win over UCLA. So that's a headline I never wanted to see. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so... Uh, 
is that a good season? Is it a bad season? I think you raise an interesting question. Is that a good season or is that a bad season? You won season? your bowl game. You won your bowl game. You ended on a winning note. But you maybe shouldn't have even been there. But should you have been there? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's unfortunate. And it may only get worse. We had 41 bowl games this year. We're continuing. It could be that we're going to hit 90 uh, in the not-too-distant future now that the precedent has been set that you can be a losing team and still go. And the fact that the losing teams won, and it's unfortunate because I had a great joke prepared. Um, you had five and seven Nebraska, five and seven San Jose State, five and seven Minnesota. So my joke was, what's the difference between Cheerios and Nebraska, San Jose State, and Minnesota? Well, the answer is that only Cheerios belong in a bowl. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, that, so so you're right. The fact that those teams won, it set a precedent. And look, if it's making money, and especially if it has the television power behind it, mostly with ESPN, but also with CBS covering some bowl games, there's going to be more of a demand for it. One of the other problems, in addition to the losing teams playing in bowl games is there was one bowl that that, that was played the nova home loans arizona bowl <laughs> the, the, the the classic um between nevada and colorado state they're in the same conference it's it's not even a postseason game no, it's, it's a, a game between game. two teams in the mountain west conference and, and the commissioner for the Mountain West Conference, Craig Thompson, he said, it is a travesty the Mountain West has been forced into this situation. Clearly the system is broken, but I'll leave it to you. It's broken, but it's not broken because- It's working for some people. It's working very well for some people, but when you are paying extra to go to a season ending game that is actually just a regular season league game, a league conference game, I don't don't think that's, um, I don't think that's worth celebrating. But they're exciting games. The Camping World Independence Bowl, Virginia Tech 55, Tulsa 52. That was a scream. Now you have the the, the playoffs, so you have this sort of varied meaning between games which are, you know, just sort of being played, maybe even between conference foes, maybe between teams with losing records. But then on the other hand, the ability to crown a champion, looking ahead to the future, what's going to happen with, with the bowl games. In a way, you could look back to the 1930s and say, well, you know, it's, it's been the same as it was in the mm-hmm. 1930s. Where, where do you see it maybe 60 years from now? 60 years from now. Good question. Are we even still playing the sport 60 years from now? Wow. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think the major stadiums are always going to be happy to host. And I think we're always going to have a business community and a college community that, that sees the, uh, the numbers and is always going to be willing to participate. And... I like the idea of incorporating at least the major traditional bowls into the final rounds of an extended playoffs. And that might be where we are, uh, that we'll have much longer playoffs and that the, uh, the bowl games will represent the final rounds or maybe the, the tournament in its entirety. And to find all the answers to this, you can pick up a copy of Football Nation, a book written by Susan Rayburn at the Library of Congress, which I was privileged enough to help do some research for and enjoy all the football in this bowl season. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, longer and longer. And the problems that the NCA brought up in the 1930s, we'll just live with them. We'll just have to live with it. It's, it continues to bowl us over. <laughs> On that note, for Susan Rayburn, I'm Jonathan Horowitz. Enjoy the bowl season.